Welcome to Agape Ministries Podcasts, a whole new way of thinking. Episode 89, part one of a talk given by Jenny Baker. The talk is entitled, In His Presence. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much, Alan. Um, And once again, I just want to say what a privilege it is to be here um, in Torquay, particularly in this school. Uh, Last year when I I came, I did mention this school. It has a very special meaning to me because my parents used to live down in Torquay. Uh, They lived in Babacombe, in fact. They ran an old people's home here for a number of years. And my father uh, was ordained a deacon in this diocese uh, around the corner from here. And uh, we used to drive down to see them all the way from London on a regular basis. And when we used to, we drove down at one stage when I was heavily pregnant with twins. And, um, And I remember people used to say to me all the time, what are you going to call them? You know, they always ask, what are their names? What are you going to call them? And um, we used to drive past and see the name Cuthbert Main. So we used to say to everybody, we're going to call them Cuthbert and Main. (laughs) And um, obviously we didn't call them Cuthbert and Main. Otherwise, Cuthbert would be in the front row over there. Because my daughter Emily is here and uh, leading one of the streams. And she's here with the group, that uh, the top group. What are you called, your group? Shift. Shift. So can we just say hello to Shift tonight? It's really, really great. And, and, you know, that is the wonderful thing about Celebrate. We had a, a nun from uh, America, Sister Catherine, came over. Um, she's an American nun, but she's teaching in uh, university in Rome. And when she came over to the main conference to be one of our speakers, she said what's impacted her most is the fact that in America, in a lot of the places that she's gone to, you have youth conferences and then you have adult conferences. But she said the unique thing about Celebrate is that we are one. And that's what true family is about, isn't it? That is completely what family is about. So that's what Celebrate is all about. Now, I just want to go back. We've heard lots of things about uh, Esther and the story of Esther. And I want to sort of pick out and tease a particular area of the story of Esther. And uh, just to remind you that uh, Esther's uncle, Mordecai, learnt of uh, Haman's plot, or I can't remember how Dave Wells said it. He said it differently to me. But anyway, the plot, his plot against the Jews. And he sent a message to Esther and told her that she had to go before the king and plead for her people. Now, she said to them, she didn't say, okay. She said, I can't do it. No way. I'm going to die if I do that. And she explained that you couldn't just, you weren't permitted just to walk in freely and go and see the king, even though you were queen, you couldn't do that. You had to recognize that his presence was highly, highly restricted and that you could only see him if he requested it. Otherwise, you are going in on pain of death the risk of having your life ended. 
And so if you remember, Mordecai said, if you don't do this, if you don't do this, God will send somebody else, I'm sure, but you and your people will all die, will perish. It may be, Esther, that you have been placed for such a time as this, in this position. So she went, fear and trembling, knees knocking, which is how I always feel when I stand up in front of all of you people. I know I never look it, but it's so nerve-wracking to do it. So fear and trembling, she went, and it took every bit of faith, every bit of courage to go and stand in the presence of the king, to enter the throne room. Now, just so that you get a real visual, because I'm visual, and I know nowadays we're all quite visual, I've got a little clip of, because this has been made into a movie a number of times, but this is, I hope, a clip of Esther entering the throne room. Okay, well, as you can imagine, <laughs> as you can imagine in your mind, she went in and she threw the doors open. And it's a wonderful clip, if you ever get to see it, um, of just her going in, looking wretched, all the people, the horror of everybody on their faces that she could possibly, possibly risk going and standing in front of the king. Now, while I, when I looked at this, and I watched a bit of the film, and I read it and read it, and it reminded me of another throne room. Another throne room where people believed that if you entered, you would die. Now, this throne room is in the Jewish temple way back in Jesus' time. And as I'm sure many of you will know, within it, there was an area called the Holy of Holies. And this is where God dwelt. And this particular area was separated by a massive curtain. Now, I don't know whether or not my PowerPoint, I haven't got a clicker, so I'm relying on, am I relying on you, Will, for this or not? (laughs) Anyway, I think I might have to go without a PowerPoint. Anyway, you can imagine this very, very large curtain. And um, so it was so big, it's 30 feet high, and it was 60 feet wide. Don't worry, Will, it wasn't really a very good photograph, so don't worry about it. So it's absolutely massive, 30 feet high, 60 feet wide, and, or was it the other way round? 60 feet wide, no, and yes, 30 feet wide, 60 feet tall, and it was about five inches thick, this this curtain. And apparently, even if you put strong horses attached to the corners of this curtain, even if they pulled it, they could not bring this massive curtain down. Now, the only person that was allowed to enter behind this curtain was one man once a year. And this man was the high priest. He was allowed to go in behind the curtain on the Feast of the Atonement. And he was going there to plead on behalf of his people, just like Esther did. 
He had to, he went to plead and to intercede that they would be, uh, relieved of sin, that sin would be lifted, set free from sin. And he was, as the high priest, a very special holy man. He was the only one worthy of entering that throne room. Because ordinary people like you and me, we weren't allowed to go in there. We weren't worthy enough. And this huge, thick, impenetrable curtain was a constant reminder to everyone of the separation between God and mankind. So it stood there for many, many years until around about three o'clock on a Friday, 2,000 odd years ago, something happened. And you know what happened because it tells us in the Gospels. It tells us that darkness fell across the land and a light, the light from the sun was completely gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary was torn in two. It was ripped from top to bottom. Now, can you imagine for a minute, if you were that little Jewish person praying outside by the temple and you would suddenly, you're kneeling down and suddenly this noise started to happen and you saw this ripping from the curtain from the top to the bottom, you'd be pretty scared, wouldn't you? And this is what we're told happened, that the curtain was torn in two. Jesus' death brought the curtain down. Why? Why did that happen? Because there was to be no longer any separation between God and man. That was over. God had come and entered our world so that now we, all of us, could enter the presence of the king. We could stand in the presence of God. Nothing to separate us anymore. And it says uh, in the book of Hebrews, it says this, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the new life-giving way that Christ has opened up for us through the sacred curtain by means of his death for us. Jesus' death made the way for us to enter the presence. And the more I have thought and prayed about this, for such a time as this, we need to become people of God's presence. You know, we need to become it for ourselves, but we need to become it for all those people that we know, for the people in the families, for the people that we know at work, for our friends, for our neighbours. We need to be able to carry God's presence. We need to become people of God's presence for our church. Maria mentioned earlier on that um, I flew in from Dublin last night. Uh, the plane was delayed, so I didn't get in until very late. 
And uh, so I've been praying a lot that I can stay focused and awake today. And, uh, and also for Suzanne, who, bless her heart, came and picked me up from the airport. But the reason I was in Dublin is that I was invited to a conference uh, called 24-7 Prayer. Some of you may have heard about it. But 24-7 Prayer is, uh, was set up by a guy called Pete Gregg. And he's uh, not from the Catholic Church. He's from the Evangelical Anglican Church. And he, back in 1999, was a student. And he got a hold of another group of students. And they felt that God were calling them to pray 24-7, to pray round the clock. So he said, you know, we're a bunch of motley crew. We got together and uh, we decided that we'd go for it. He said we weren't sure if people were going to really turn up, but we got together and they created a prayer room, very creative. They had uh, music, they had art, they had an area for graffiti, they had an area for silence, they had a cross for petitions and intercessions. So it was very, very uh, different from your normal um, prayer space, I suppose, in those days. And he said, amazingly, people did turn up. And then some of our other student friends said, hey, that's really cool. We want to do that. So they suddenly decided to set up a prayer room. And then some more people said, oh, let's, can we do that? And uh, it started to grow. And then somebody had a bright idea. If we get enough people involved, maybe we could have prayer going on in different uh, places across the country. So uh, they decided they'd try it out. And sure enough, these young people started to pray in different places all over the country. And then it went viral. And other students and other young people started to hear about this. And they're saying, hey, that's really cool. We want to do that. And so for the last 13 years, 13 years, young, old, all sorts of different people have been setting up prayer rooms and praying 24-7 every single day of the year around the world. And so I went along to this conference. I was invited to go. There were 500 young people and me. Well, there were, there were some other older people as well. But it was a little bit, I, I texted both my girls and said, you should be here, not me. Everyone's so young. But, you know, they bless them. Both text me back saying, you're young at heart, mummy. Just tell, you know, hang on in there, hang on in there. So um, I went, and, uh, and in fact, some of the people that are setting it up now, or set it up at the beginning, aren't as young as they were. But um, there were 500 people from 30 nations coming to talk about their stories of what had happened, uh, how God had impacted people. Because this isn't just the fact they're going in. They're inviting their friends, their um, people that don't know God and no idea about faith are coming in and just say, come, you know, come and just pray in this place. Come and, you know, hang out. And people are coming and they're being touched by the Holy Spirit just in a few minutes in this place of God's presence. And what's also happening is that from there, they've set up what they call boiler rooms, houses of prayer, places where young people go and they live together and they share their food and they share their money and they invite people and their areas of hospitality and they call them boiler rooms and they're, they're based on the Benedictine tradition. 
They've studied and looked at the Benedictine tradition, so they're calling it new monasticism. For us, it's not that new. Because we know this. We know this in our own tradition. But it's new wine going into new wineskins. And it's exciting. It's really, really exciting. And bless their hearts. They asked me to come along with other people from various different places um, around the world. And they were having a Catholic consultation because they'd been to Vienna and they'd seen 5,000 young people praying uh, with heartfelt prayer. And they were so impacted by the Catholics. They said, well, what can we do to encourage Catholics to do this as well? And we were meeting together to talk to them. And, you know, they're so gracious, so incredibly gracious. And what hit me, what suddenly hit me as I was thinking about this, was I remember way back in the turn of the century, in 2000, Pope John, uh, John Paul II brought out a document about uh, the new millennium. And in it, I remember reading a real challenge where he challenged us that we need to set up schools of prayer. I don't, some of you will have read this. And I thought, gosh, that, you know, that's interesting. That fires me up with excitement. But how, Lord, how would we do this? And it suddenly hit me in the midst of all these motley crew of people with dreadlocks and and weird and wonderful costumes all over the place, praising and worshipping God like there is, like nothing else mattered, I suddenly thought, you know, this is it. This is the schools of prayer that, that John Paul II prophesied about. But maybe we need to learn from people outside our own tradition. So thank you for taking the time to listen to these episodes. Our prayer is that as you listen and reflect on these teachings, that you'll be encouraged to continue your journey, to maximise your potential, to have a good and a happy life. So sign in again next week for more teaching on how you can follow the Jesus way to experience your life as filled with meaning, purpose and joy. So God bless and stay safe.